0: welcome back to cricket central the podcast where we discuss all the stories big and small uh, i'm here for an impromptu podcast today uh where pearson lynch is joining us live from washington dc uh fully equipped uh, with a with a full suit and everything here so uh it's good to have you on again pearson it's been a while um uh, how have your adventures been in america
1: yeah thank you it's good to be back it's good to have a rare moment where i can actually sit back and discuss cricket no, they, it's been busy but good. I've enjoyed my what, week and a bit that I've been here so far.
0: Yeah, right. Well, I, I hope you haven't uh, forgotten about cricket being in the, you know, the the land of the heathens who who don't like cricket over there in America. But uh, I'm sure that the activities in Pakistan, where with England's success have has have, uh, have given you your your share of cricketing news. Uh, and of course, we've got Ethan Prabbs here as well um, to discuss. I think. Pearson's only got about 40 minutes or so, so we'll probably just stick to the England and Pakistan series here, where we've got plenty to talk about. Uh, obviously, the first test in Raul Pindi, it seemed for probably almost four of the five days that the the big story, or perhaps the only story coming out of it, was going to be just how poor that pitch was. Um you know, I think it was it was graded below average or something. I, I don't know how it wasn't graded poor, to be honest, actually. Uh, 657 in England's first innings, four centuries, the most runs in the first day. The, the, the records in the, in that day, in this match, I mean, there's too many to, to go through them all, to be honest. Uh, then Pakistan responded with 579, with centuries to Abdullah Shafiq, Imam al-Haq and Baba Razam. Uh, but then England sort of single-handedly decided to make a match of it uh in just 35 overs, scoring 264 runs and then declaring um in their second innings, um at Harry Brooke with 87 off 65 being the big uh star in that innings. And that meant that um Pakistan needed, I think it was 343 runs is that right to um it, in the in the second innings um they got it looked like they were going to get uh pretty close there but in the end um it was Ollie Robinson and Jimmy Anderson both with four wickets who scripted an incredible victory uh for England on the fifth day dramatic final day there um fantastic to watch and pearson um another great victory for this new I don't want to call it Baz anymore because I've heard that McCullum <laughs> doesn't like it being called that. But this new aggressive style um, of cricket that you guys play.
1: Yeah, it definitely suggested our style works. I think you, I mean, the obvious thing to do is, of course, to compare it to the last test played at Royal Pindy between Australia and Pakistan, in which 14 wickets fell across the entire match as opposed to high 30s in our game. I think the reason, well, in all honesty, I think England are probably the only side that could have gotten a result out of that pitch. That was, that first innings was an anomaly. If my memory serves me correctly, no side has ever hit 500 at more than 4.5 runs and over, and then England did it in almost seven. That isn't a conventional test innings in any way. I think the fact we bat so aggressively is the reason we will see more results. I know... We constantly go on about the we would never take a draw thing. I don't particularly love that, I'll be honest. I actually thought we made a mistake to declare when we did. It turned out to be a nigh-on masterful decision, considering we won with about 10 minutes left in the day's play. So we did need those overs. But no, I I think the fact we could hit 500 on day one of a test match did mean that regardless of the fact the pitch was flat, we would always have a good three, three and a half days to bowl at Pakistan. I think that has to be the thing that's most credited. Obviously, the bowling was, particularly in that fourth innings, the bowling was excellent. But I do think the main thing to take out of it is on flat wickets, and maybe it's something other teams could look into, is if you want to win on a such a flat wicket, you need to bat with a lot of aggression just to give yourself the time to force a result. And I think, although you may not like basketball and nor does McCullum, I think basketball is probably here to stay. And that's probably evidence as to why it is here to stay.
0: Yeah, I think so. Well, I don't not like basketball. I think um, as a few people mentioned um, on the coverage, the fact that that test match on that pitch, uh, we went into tea with all three results being possible. I think there were only five wickets down at that point, Pakistan eating about 80 runs or or something something like that um, and maybe 90 runs and then obviously in the end England did get it done that's a, a credit to um, the aggressive style of England there. Um, Ethan uh, well I'll I'll just uh, go straight on to to the burning question of uh, what does this mean for the Ashes next year? Uh, is it time to be worried um, for the Australian perspective?
2: I think so I think England are certainly playing with a bit of flair and a bit of confidence and their their efforts in Pakistan have arguably outdone what we managed whether the pitches are the same or worse as yeah. up to we have debate won but
1: two of two games which <laughs> is more than you won so yeah we have the out yeah. w-
2: so I mean off the back of that I think that there is some cause for concern I, th- I think it's very feasible that you know, the, the Aussies might get blown away. I think last Ashes, we sort of built a bowling attack around low-economy bowling with tight spells, and that was one of the reasons why we didn't actually pick Starg for a number of those tests. But certainly if the English batsmen prepared to play aggressively, it might be challenging for our line-and-length bowlers like Hazelwood to really settle in. And I think that could be a, a major point of, of contention in that series. It'll be interesting if someone who has the control of Scott Boland gets a chance and seeing how England try and bash him around because he's probably one of the lowest economy bowlers in cricket at the minute. But I think certainly England's bowling has always been their sort of strong point and their batting has been over-reliant on Root and Stokes. And I think we're seeing the emergence of players like Duckett, Pope and Brooke. And I think there is some cause for concern there, and especially in England's home conditions where we haven't really won a series in a number of years, it might be very, very challenging even to retain the Ashes.
0: Yeah, uh, I think, I think it is a worry. Um, And just the other question, I guess, is, do you think that other sides and Australia in particular should try to adopt um, a more aggressive style? We saw Pakistan's approach um, in in both of their batting innings in, in the first test in particular, um, they definitely didn't try to to emulate it at all. They just tried to, to play their game. And I guess you can say that didn't really work. Do you think that other sides need to catch on to this?
2: I think some sides make the mistake of trying to be England without that same sort of preparation and planning. I think early on in that second innings of the first test, might have been Abdullah Shafiq that got out slogging to the boundary and Babar Azam fell pretty quickly after. And I thought that was just a mistake of loss of temperament and the sort of chase got to their heads there and they tried to play like England and it backfired on honestly probably for the bulk of those games Pakistan were arguably on top until maybe the final session so I think their strategy for keeping it normal is is probably the way to go and if other sides do choose to pursue this aggressive route in Test cricket I think you need the the players for it, but also the planning. So I, w- I wouldn't think it's something you adopt midway through a test. And I think teams can fall for the mistake of trying to adopt it too early and end up getting caught on the boundary as we saw. What do
0: you think, Pearson?
1: Well, I i mean, I'm, I'm left unsure. I think England's side does suit this style better than a lot of other teams. I don't think this England side is composed of players with exceptional techniques I think in a traditional test side, Zach Crowley and Ben Duckett are not test quality openers. I think you shove them in that Australian side. I don't think they hang around long. I think England's cricketing mentality has shifted. I think we saw this seven years ago with the white ball side of them saying, we'll stop playing correct cricket and just give it a bash and hope. And that worked. Maybe it will work again. My suspicion is having looked at how other sides reacted to England in white ball cricket, not many teams mimicked England's style. The one side that did attempt it was Australia in 2018, they got whitewashed and they never attempted it again. So there is probably a train of thought out there that teams aren't advantaged by playing in that style. I still think Traditional Test cricket, in the way it's played with a solid defence at a strike rate of 45, that's been around for 130 years. There's no obvious reason why England playing well for nine Test matches is sufficient to revolutionise 130 years. I still think there's value in solid cricket. I think the two sides that will make the world test championship final are probably india and australia they are characterized by solid defensive cricket yes they have counter-attacking batsmen they don't go at seven and over and hit 500 that's quite unique so i think it's too early to say should australia adopt basball no they don't lose enough if they start getting walloped by everyone if you get whitewashed in the ashes maybe make some changes But you've got to be doing poorly to take on England's style, I think. England adopted this because they'd won one test in 17. They needed something different. And this England side are clearly led by some form of self-belief that's unrivaled across cricket. Australia's closer to winning 16 of their last 17 than one of their last 17. So I think it's too early to suggest we need a revolutionary change in the style of established, strong cricketing nations might it come a few years down the track maybe but right now is it are they best off mimicking England no they're not they just beat us 4-0 a year ago you may as well stick with the tried and trusted method and you can adapt if it fails but for now i'd see no reason to change
0: yeah i think the one thing that um well i would hope um potentially did catch on a bit more is the more aggressive approach when it comes to declarations and the focus on getting a win over a draw I think for too long there has been a focus uh, the sort of the thinking is you know first you've got to play for the draw first and then go for the win only if you definitely can't lose and I think um hopefully for the for the good of cricket I think it, it is better when we we see something like that first test where they they do make the aggressive de- declaration um a couple other points is obviously England's your lineup here um has had quite a few new names uh who have have performed pretty well Harry Brook and, and Ben Duckett um in particular Harry Brook's just been hitting the cover off the ball like like no one else has um two centuries um and uh Ben Duckett I think with a couple quick fifties as well how have you seen their performances
1: well Brook is clearly very good. He averaged 100 plus in county cricket. So I think the expectation was he was fairly the next cab off the rank. I found it interesting in the post-match press conference of the second test, Stokes' comparison was that Brook plays in the same style as Coley, was his idea. It's a simple, uncomplicated technique that probably lends itself to all three formats. I think... It's probably a bit early to go that far, but I do think he seems an obvious all-format mainstay for this England side for a while. He seems to just love Pakistan. He averaged 70-odd in the T20 series, and he's now averaging 80-odd in the Test series. But yeah, this has certainly been a good start to life for him. He's like Duckett, who I'll come to in a second. They both suit the style that we play quite well. They're both aggressive players, You do feel if anyone's going to break Gilbert Jessup's record for the fastest England 100, it will probably be Harry Brook. That was set in the first ever test match England played, and it's felt at a constant threat for a good year or so now. I do think Brook will eventually beat it. But yes, he looks very dependable. I'd be surprised if he went anywhere for a while. Duckett, the jury is still out for a lot of people on Duckett. He's played very well. He got, well, at least according to the PCA, the Professional Cricketers Association in the UK, he was adjudged man of the match for this game, hitting 69 of 43, I think, and a 78 in the second innings. It was two very impressive performances. He, of course, hit 100 in his first test of the series as well, alongside a golden duck. But he has impressed. He's clearly a very proficient player of spin. He's probably the best sweeper of the ball in England, if not in world cricket, which does come to his benefit. The question will be as someone who is an ultra-aggressive player that generally bats number three, if he can do this in overcast conditions with a seeming Jukes ball. That I'm less confident of compared to Harry Brooke. But for now, he's certainly done enough. I would argue he's usurped Crawley in the pecking order. Whether England would say the same, I'm not so sure. They still have a unusual fetish for Zach Crawley so I can't really comment but I do I do think this looks as solid of an England batting lineup as we've had in a while the big question it does ask is where does Ben Folks go and where does Johnny Bairstow go because you'd imagine Bairstow has to return I feel it would be unduly harsh to drop Brooke but you bring Bairstow and you give him the gloves that's the end of Ben Folks again I've seen a few things come out in the last couple of days suggesting besto should open and you drop Crawley, but I th- still don't think his technique is ready for that. And I also think players that score, well, he's I think got the most runs of anyone this calendar year or close to it, at least besto. I think he's top three, if not top one, that would suggest to me that you keep him where he's been scoring runs and you fiddle with the order accordingly. I don't know where we'll go, but yes, it, it is. It's definitely compared to 12 months ago when it looked like we only have one test quality batsman. It's good to have selection headaches because too many of them are scoring runs.
0: Yeah, I think there was someone saying that Ben Folks is could be the unluckiest cricketer ever if he if he doesn't get back in the team. I think it's twice now that he's got injured and then not got back in the team
1: afterwards because yeah. so, uh... he, he averaged 40 in the summer too so we had a breakout that summer with the bat it's very harsh to even consider dropping him but at the same time you can't drop stokes you can't drop brook you can't drop bear stoke and there's no obvious way in which you could see ben folks opening the batting so I my suspicion is long term we will see the end of ben folks despite that being incredibly harsh but it fulfills best as dream of getting the gloves back. So I guess there is some degree of silver lining.
0: Huh. I didn't realise that was his dream. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, I guess just quickly from the flip side of things and uh, Pakistan's perspective, Ethan, what what could they have done better, really? Obviously, missing their star bowler in um, Shaheen Sharafridi um, didn't help. Uh, but and they, as you say, they've been close or even ahead in... In both matches at stages, but just just um have been out out and outplayed ultimately by England.
2: Yeah, it was an interesting case because I think a lot of the ways they were uh, end up being dismissed were almost abnormal cricket tactics, um, to, especially towards yeah. the back end of that that second test. It's not your conventional fourth stump line and length bowling nick off to the keeper. We saw bouncers and strangles um, from Wood. And players getting caught out in odd positions as well. So I, I guess just a bit of assessment of the scenario and a bit of preparation as well. This you're not going to get almost normal cricket on these extremely flat pitches with little side to side movement. So I mean that's certainly something to to think about. I think their tail probably is a massive liability. Um, mm. it, it seems harsh, harsh to judge the the bowlers for their ability to bat, but certainly Pakistan probably have one of the weaker tails in cricket and that's almost been detrimental to them in both games. But, I mean, from the players who have made runs, it's been a lot of starts or a lot of 50s and there's not been those big, those big hundreds that have managed to go on and really secure the game. I think if you're going to chase a... 300 plus score you really need one batsman to stand up and almost be there at the end and it's looking through that scorecard it's too many 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s so i think a little bit more application from the the batsman a bit of planning perhaps for some unusual tactics and maybe a little bit of work in the nets for their tail enders
0: yeah yeah i think that's that's probably true um they have had a, a couple new names uh come up uh on, on the radar with, with their performances sword Shaquille um with two fifties uh in the second test. Very unlucky. Well I called it unlucky, but Pearson assured me it was all part of the plan. So it wasn't luck, but he was yeah, strangled down the leg side by Wood on 94. It was sort of the the crucial wicket really um in the in the second session on, on day four. Um but uh yeah I, I guess just what could have been for, for for Pakistan in this series it's it's one of those ones and it hasn't really been the most uh well the 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 sort of results that they would have been hoping for when they got australia and england back to pakistan for the first time in 20 years or whatever it was lost the series to australia in in march and um yeah lost this one to england so uh yeah interesting i, I guess that the final thing um that we should discuss is just how good Jimmy Anderson is still playing. It's pretty ridiculous, really. Um, obviously, as I mentioned before, played the crucial role in the second innings of the first test with that fourfer, um, and then picked up another three um, in the match in the second test. But along with him, Mark Wood and Ollie Robinson too, as well as the great spin bowling of Joe Root and Will Jacks, um, not so much Jack Leach, but he wasn't too bad, I guess. Um, and, But uh, your bowling's uh, also probably the thing from baseball that doesn't get mentioned enough, I reckon, is how good your bowling's been in, in this period uh, since McCullums McCallum, came
1: in. Yeah, the, the batting will take the headlines. But in all honesty, if I'm picking one crucial difference that separates Pakistan and England, it's the quality of the seam bowling, is... Pakistan have worked, they've toiled, they've not been terrible, but England have very obviously been a class above with the ball. I mean, you look at Ollie Robinson, it's averaging less than 20 now with the ball in Pakistan, on um, possibly the flattest wickets you'll ever see. I mean, to, to give a, I mean, here's a useful figure. In both innings of that second test, Pakistan's bowlers took none for 101, so no wickets fell to them at all, and they conceded 101. England conceded 190 runs to pace, but took 12 wickets. 12 for 190 on that wicket for pace bowlers is very impressive. And off 73 overs as well, so they bowled with pretty impressive economy, going at less than three and over, while Pakistan went at over four and over. So there were definitely some distinctions between them. I mean, you look at Anderson, he is just getting better with age. It is odd, of course. To bring out another random stat between the ages of 20 and 24 he averaged 38 between 25 and 29 he averaged 28 between 30 and 34 he averaged 25 between 35 and 39 he averaged 21 and since turning 40 he averages 17. they are remarkable increases he's one of the few players that seems to have peaked after the age of 35 which I imagine is quite unique, particularly among pace bowlers. I can't think of another player that may have done that, particularly of his pedigree. He does now have a better average after the age of 30 in Asia than he does in England as well. He averages, I believe, 20.6 in Asia since turning 30. I may need to be fact-checked on that, but it's somewhere around there in 20.9 in England. So he has definitely taken a step forward. Mark Ward, he is injury-prone, and that was although not many people would know, that was actually his first game under McCullum and Stokes thus far. He's been injured and not been able to play in any of the other eight tests. And of course, he returned and it was arguably his, well, I would argue it was his spell just before lunch on day four, where he got Sword Shaquille and Mohamed Nawaz out both in about the last 20 minutes before lunch. I would say that's what won us the game. Yes, the pace bowling's been excellent. I still think spin is an issue. As always is the case with England, we're playing India again next summer because we just play India all the time. I think we have five tests in India in our next English winter. We do need a spinner for that. I don't think Will Jax is the man. He bowled about a fifth of the overs that Joe Root did in this test. Joe Root actually bowled very well, so I will give him credit for that. Will Jacks was great on debut. He did take six in his <laughs> first ever innings. But... He is a part time spinner in reality, at least on a test level, and is picked primarily for his batting for this county. So it's tough to say he should be there as a spinner. And Jack Leach, he's done well to avoid criticism, to be honest. Not many seem willing to criticize him, despite the fact he's averaging 40 under McCullum, which is not great, particularly when you consider he took a 10 for in one of those games. So. I still think the jury's out on Jack Leach. He has now taken 100 wickets for England, which suggests we may just stick with him. But I do wonder whether in the third test we'll give Rian Ahmed, the 18 year old Wonder Kid, a run out, because he adds a bit more to the tail than Leach does. And maybe his googlies can have an effect like Abra Ahmed's 11 for did. But yes, the spin needs a bit of work, but the pace bowling has been superb all tour
0: yeah yeah just one thing i noticed and ethan mentioned it as well is just the adaptability um that you have in different tactics you use i think that was one thing australia could have done better um when we went to pakistan you know we're very fixed in our ways sort of in the way our pace bowlers bowl and even even in the the use of nathan Lyon for so many overs i think we sort of just said you know it's pakistan so we're going to have lion and um uh what's his name the other leg spinner um but oh, i always forget his name but uh and but you've seen england swepson that's his name yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> but um you've seen england more willing to actually uh change things up a lot more and it, it's worked to, to great effect so far okay well um i know Pearson, you have to go so we'll come to an end here but i before before we end i would um just offer my commiserations for. England's loss in the football World Cup Uh, yeah it's still not still not coming home were you very disappointed by that
1: it's it's harder to take because we were the better side in that France game I'd be okay with it if we just lost heavily and they dominated it's the fact we probably deserve to go through and actually play quite well I know this is a cricket podcast, but I'll bring out some random football stats. We were well ahead on XG in that game, which is why I'm frustrated. XG being expected goals for the uninitiated, measuring the quality of chances and how many goals they would reasonably provide in the average game. But France did enough. I must admit, we didn't, despite playing well, I didn't think we ever looked like scoring. It did feel like a game where we needed those penalties to score. I didn't think France looked particularly like scoring either, to be honest. But it it was a watchable game. Very frustrating when, of course, Kane missed. I think it it lends itself to a more interesting semi-final with the political and cultural background of Morocco and France. But yes, of course, I'd have rather had England there. I now have to hope that Morocco can bring the World Cup home for Africa. But we'll have to wait and see. Disappointing result, but at least England cricket has made up for that with some very good results
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I'm not sure uh I think there'll be a few cities around Europe that could be hoping that Morocco don't win uh with the celebrations they've been having uh, amazing scenes but it's a, a great story uh nonetheless all right well yeah thanks for coming on Pearson it's good to get your views on uh England's performances finally um and ethan as always i, I always know that you will you'll come on so <laughs> it's good to have that <laughs> uh and thank you all for listening we'll be back maybe for australia South africa pod preview or, or something for that um uh in the coming days uh, but for now it's goodbye